0: that truly the cost, the efficiencies in the insurance industry, if you look back and normalize it over the years, it's never gotten better. Whereas all other industries continue to bring costs, they drive them out of the systems. Insurance has never had a chance to become more efficient.
1: So I am excited to be speaking with Jennifer Linton. Now, Jennifer is the Chief Executive Officer of Fenris, an tech focused on streamlining the quoting and underwriting process through enabling a frictionless underwriting process. Uh, Jen, you know, I've been really excited to get you on to really talk through what you're doing and also just to talk about what's happening in the insurance space in general. So um, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks, Abel. I'm so delighted to be here with you today.
1: Hey, so, you know, Jen, I, I, I had the opportunity to, you know, just walk through your history and even from prior conversations that you and I had, we, you know, r- I really recognize your depth of experience and knowledge uh, in the insurance space. So before jumping into what you all are doing in your organization, um, I'd love to uh, help, I'd love for you to help to uh, the audience to get to know who you are and, and basically your background in history so we can set the stage.
0: Sure. Um, Let me give you a quick synopsis then of how I got here. Um, Let's see. So this, Fenris, is my fourth insurance adventure. And I always like to talk about it that way. Um, You know, I started out my career uh, right after my MBA. I did strategy work for Fortune 10s. And so I literally was very buttoned up right on the corporate jet with the CFOs traveling around the globe um, doing deals. And um, as 2008 hit... Right. And a lot of companies started to go under Uh, a friend of mine from business school called me up and said, why don't we go ahead and start an insurance company from scratch? And I did not know what I was getting into. If I had, I think I would have jumped harder because it's a lot of fun. But um, that was the start of it for me. So in 2009, I was able to launch my first insurance entity under the Admiral Group, which is the largest UK insurance company. Uh, I was part of the U.S. launch team and I'll come back to that in a little bit because almost everything that I'm doing now with Fenris was shaped by that initial experience in insurance where I headed up marketing and I was responsible for bringing in quotes, bringing in customers for us. And I could see firsthand some of the the issues that the industry has to to battle with to try to become customer focused at the same time as they stay on the right side with all their regulations. And then after launching Elephant, Uh, I had a really great opportunity to join another friend who just left Progressive. And we launched a telematics company back in 2012. And this platform was agnostic, it would gather data from the dongle, they like to call it the OBD2 device, uh, from mobile SDKs, software development kits, even from head units um, in the OEM space. So we were able to launch telematics platforms on behalf of our insurance clients on three continents. And ultimately, that platform was acquired by CCC, which is the largest uh, claims software provider. And it's kind of the basis of their FNOL. And, uh, you know, right after that, I said, this is great. Startups are hard. Let's go back. So I bounced immediately to like the largest insurance company in the globe, Allianz. And I was their VP of new markets, heading up organic and um, acquisitive growth in, in the U.S. for one of their Uh, entities here and um, launched something really neat called uh, Allianz Tuition Insurance. And so um, that was a way to backstop or protect that large investment that parents make when they send their student to college. Um, And so all of those experiences have sort of taught me, I think, a lot about what I want to do to try to make insurance uh, a better product, right, and lowering the barriers that are inherent in how we acquire Customers and making it more of a friendly customer journey, uh, in so much as we don't call them customers, we still call them policyholders. Um, I'm trying to flip that that script, but uh, that brought me to Fenris, which I founded in 2016, and uh, it's been a fun ride so far.
1: Yeah, it it seems like it it's been you know you you're really deeply entrenched in in the insurance industry. You know, not only from launching. Uh, uh, some opportunities within the insurance space, but also what you've done, as you mentioned, in the telematic space to, to today. Um, you know, I I want to dig a little bit into what you are specifically doing with Fenris. So, Jennifer, if you don't mind, you know, talk to me a little bit about what Fenris's uh, value proposition is, and and really what got you to thinking that you want to launch uh, an organization like Fenris and and transform you know the the customer experience within insurance. Absolutely.
0: Um, It all starts with the very basic premise that in insurance, it's a very product oriented world. And no offense, Abel, I know you're a product expert, (laughs) Um, but everything is auto, home, life, right? Um, It's very oriented. And what, what we try to do is we step back and we say the unifying aspect of all insurance is that every single product has an applicant or a person or a business that that that's the unifying piece. And so, with 100% of all of insurance starting with an application as well, um, how can I take that friction out of that process? I did see this firsthand, especially launching Elephant Auto Insurance. You know, it's it was back in the day when that old marketing claim was still being, I think it is still on TV a lot. I, I don't watch a lot of TV, but give us 15 minutes, we'll save you 15%. That resonates. That's still. Somewhat the concept. It just hasn't changed, and I believe that's a 15 year old marketing claim. So, learning uh, that there are a lot of drop offs during that process, um, either incompletes, abandonments, cumbersome long form fatigue, all those issues came into play to drive up the cost of acquisition, lower the accuracy of the quote, and essentially not do a good job for customers who are either mandated to purchase or looking to be protective, right, of what, what they need to do in their lifestyles and, and for their um, for their families. So, looking at that, we noticed there's a ton of friction in the application. So, Fenris started out saying, how do we properly remove friction from that process? And uh, we, we discovered a lot in, in some initial, you know, investigations into the causes of friction in the application process and then devised our solutions around that to solve that problem both from like a consumer lens as well as an agent lens and an underwriting lens. So I'm happy to talk to you about that as well if you'd like to know more about um, what we learned and what the cause of the friction is
1: yeah, if, if you don't mind, you know, I, I'd love to get into those details, and, and the reason why I'd like to dig a little bit deeper is, you know, I, I know a lot of carriers that are out there, right, and and I'm looking at it from the perspective of traditional carrier incumbents that's been around for quite some time, um, and, and a lot of those organizations are working through what's known as, you know, a, a frictionless underwriting model for mm. uh, part of their, let's say, commoditized business, even um, uh, the, the, the business that's beyond the commoditized ones that are within those organizations, where the complexity increases, it becomes a little bit harder to remove some elements of the friction, but not all. So, you know, I'd love for you to talk to the audience about, um, you know, what you've learned, um, you know, in relation to what the friction points were, um, and then how you applied that to the value prop of what you all are doing within Fenris.
0: Sure. Yeah. And totally agree with you on that. There are some lines where straight through processing is the norm. And then there are others where you've had a lot of experience in small business commercial where it's just... Uh, a little bit, uh, it's, it's, it's not close, not even close. <laughs> um, it's always a manual process there, or most of the time. So what, what we learned is that with, what I had experienced at Elephant was not unique to the industry, it's very common. Um, well over half of all applications, and I think there are three billion applications started a year between auto, home, life, and small business. And I'm leaving health off of the table because it's such a different regulatory environment. So we looked at those and realized that over half are incomplete, abandoned, or have significant errors within them. And that created a lot of the friction and the uh, the, the checking and, and, and balances that are necessary. And it results in loss of business sales, uh, high cost of acquisition, where I think we could we could safely generalize and say, uh, about 20 cents of every dollar in insurance is going to acquisition on the, on the greater whole. And that, in and of itself, at a $1.2 trillion business for the U.S., for those insurance lines, is it's staggering right? to think about that. That truly, the cost, the efficiencies in the insurance industry, if you look back and normalize it over the years, it's never gotten better. Whereas all other industries continue to bring costs, they drive them out of the systems. Insurance has never had a chance to become more efficient. So all of that means it's ultimately... A cost that's borne by the consumer in not understanding what they're getting. Um, they might have insufficient coverages. They're also paying a lot more than they should, in my understanding and belief, you know, to have that social good applied to them, that insurance safety net. So we we looked at that and said, what can we do to create more uh, accurate, um, consumer friendly, and and really fast, right? Let's take the time out of it as well so that we can lower the barriers to getting a quote, to getting an accurate quote. And that's when Fenris was born. And so Fenris is a, a, the, probably the most comprehensive repository of all of the applicant information purpose built around how do we help insurance companies um, first assess the likelihood that that applicant will convert, look at the lifetime value, also predict some of the downstream scores and uh, r- reports that you're going to have to order that are costly. all of that up front and then trigger the pre-fill that's necessary so that the ultimately the application process becomes more personalized uh it's in real time it's more swipe less type right it's a 50 to 5 sort of technology that we that we apply and when we streamline that and um the the secret sauce behind it all is we simply take the any applicant with just the name and address of the person or the business we will match that back enrich it, score it, and then deliver the payload back via our API or some of our dashboards. And we've done a couple million of those for customers. Um, the results have been stellar. We're not done yet, but you know we can increase the close rate three times. We can identify their best customers. They'll focus, prioritize, and simply be more efficient. And they get a three X close rate. We've also taken costs of acquisitions down 25%. And then on the agent side, we reduced manual effort 80%, as well as underwriters have more accurate views from third-party validated data. All of those things, I think, are the necessary backbone. Just to begin to address the question of how do we make insurance uh, a universal, uh, give universal access to it, right, and remove those friction points so that individuals and businesses can uh, acquire the right protections that they need.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, I want to uh, talk a little bit about that, right? Because, you know, so what, you know, myself and organization has done as, as we were looking to uh, create a frictionless underwriting process is, um, take one of the really key important points that you talked about. And that's really being able to leverage data, um, you know, from out in the ethosphere to align it with the policy that we're trying to quote to get an accurate quote for the policy holder, for our agents and those that, that are that are coming into the to the process. Now the biggest challenge that we faced, and um, and this was sort of an engagement with a, a multitude of data providers, and it and it stemmed uh, uh, and it surrounded data quality. You know, so uh, the the quality threshold that we hit across all of them within the, the multiple of uh, tens of thousands of data points that that we get that we gave was roughly about thirty percent data quality. Now that was um, you know thirty percent better than than where we were, right? Because there's an automation piece that allowed us to to enable that thirty percent, but when you look at that on a scale of a hundred, you know it, it, it doesn't feel as if it's fairly significant. So, uh, so, so, Jen, I, I wonder, you know, as you talk about Fenris, you all have more than half a billion data points that uh, you collect in order to enable the process of prefill. But how are you all working to solve the quality issue, to, um, if there's a quality issue that that you all are facing? Um, you know, just. just just knowing that that is truly a key part of enabling a, a significant element of frictionless underwriting.
0: We've we've had great success in the micro and small side because no one else is really focused there. So let me kind of address that. Um, you're right about the quality aspect. We do run into just numerous times. I think the, the industry's um, it's becoming bombarded by this idea that there's external data, alternate data, social data. Um, biometric data, all of these wonderful new sources of data, and how do you, apl- it's really in how you apply them and how you screen and create quality for you. So I guess first and foremost at Fenris, we look at dozens of data providers, um, and as we run them in conjunction with our clients and actually look at the results and run the retro analysis, we're able to identify what's real and what's accurate. Um, and that then means those data providers, they kind of rise to the top. We secure them. They might be used in other industries, and we secure them for our use within insurance for this purpose-built methodology. Um, I'll tell you, one one outlier you should be aware of is, um, and it's not really an outlier because it's the majority, but anything that is a contributory data set, right? And I know there are some of those starting up where an insurance company, uh, essentially the rules of that game are, an insurance company contributes their data and because they contribute their data, now they're allowed to pull it back out, when, uh, and so it creates, uh, in a sense, you know, a shared repository between carriers. Now, in theory, that's a wonderful idea, and that's in place. But at the same time, every insurance carrier will acknowledge what you did, which is maybe 20 30% of their data is not accurate. And one of the rules of the game with contributory data sets is if it goes in, we don't scrub or cleanse. So what goes in comes back out, and this cont- contributes in some ways to the inaccuracies being perpetuated throughout the systems, um, which which is which is unfortunate, and I think something that no folks have quite figured out. Um, but at Fenris, the the data sets that we're using, in some cases they're public, they're private. Uh, we even have marketing data sets where they're calling the businesses every year to validate information. So there's a multitude of different ways that you can augment your understanding of what the truth is for that particular entity. And um, I think that's the real, the real message. This isn't, this isn't easy at all. There's no one size fits all solution. Some data sets are better at certain categories, right? Like restaurants or, or permitted uh, uh, artisan and contractors. Um, and so it's really, that's a service that we, we, we somewhat step up to provide because one insurance carrier would have a hard time evaluating all of the data sources that we do on a regular basis when we continue to add to it and see if it augments our understanding and our predictive power. Um, but yeah, to your point, it's quality is job one.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty important, right? And, um, you know, what, what we tend to have found was that the, the quality from databases, uh, such as government databases and, and so on, especially as you start to think of what contractors are required to do in terms of getting licensing, same thing with restaurants and so on. That tended to be spot on, right, uh, uh, just in relation to um, uh, the information that was being gathered from those uh, organizations. But it's as you started to, to get into other sort of soft requirements in, in regards to the underwriting processes is when the, the quality element of the data started to break apart. Um, and, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to, to hear the fact that Fenris is, is really focused on That for the long term, um, and has been, you know, um, ensuring. That the sources that are that are being used um, uh, as a part of that that capability um, is really you know uh, put in place to help carriers and and basically your your partners and organizations that are, that you're working with um, uh, maintain uh, that that high level of quality to promote the, the frictionless underwriting process within the carrier. Now you know with that said, um, I was uh, really excited as as I learned a lot about your capabilities and and one of the the elements that you all have is um, a capability known as license snap um, so you know I, I'd like for you to talk a little bit about that and how that's also helping to contribute towards a, a frictionless underwriting process for those that are using it
0: yeah license snap is awesome um, we it was actually the very first product we ever rolled out in 2016 um, and I'm so excited nationwide with spire they've now launched a very similar product right where they're able to utilize uh, the mobile device, no app is downloaded. It's browser, text, whatever. And they, they simply start the process with a snap of the back of the license. Um, and from that they extract then the key individual, you know, identifying information and components, which can then be matched back to, you know, records and and used to pre-fill. But um, here's what we learned with license snap. So it was a little bit ahead of its time, which was uh, always awesome. And we've done tens of thousands of these in the field for carriers. So they well, it tends to be a white-labeled solution, obviously, right, because it's a trusted source. So for instance, if I went to, you know, insurancecompany.com, it's gonna show, it's gonna detect they're on a mobile device and then flip them to our solution for about 10 to 20 seconds and then flip them right back. And it takes them through the process of, I think most importantly, it's fully disclosed up front, right? We're gonna take a snap, the purpose of which is we're going to ease your process through the application and it's completely consent driven. So they have the option as well to proceed with a more anonymized quote or simply enter their information if they don't wanna provide that that picture. Um, And and it's very straightforward because with that snap, I think you fill, depending on the state, up to 14 fields. That's 14 less fields someone has to enter. That means fewer errors, more accuracy, right? And, And a better customer experience. And what we learned through it um, in our experience was in those tens of thousands of field trials that we did is that well over 70% of the individuals would simply opt in and take a picture. Um, That far surpasses (laughs) what what you typically see with mobile engagement on quoting. And I I always think it's a brilliant thing to do to put yourself in the shoes of your customer and think what can I do to make this easy for them but also keep it very consent driven and secure um and so yeah that's a it's a great product in fact if anyone is listening and wants to try it out i'll I'll try to put a link to it on the website and anyone can try it on their mobile phone
1: And what I'll also do um, is uh, for those that are listening, I'll put a link in the show notes of the show so you all could have an opportunity to try. You know, it's a to me, it's a really exciting product. Right. Um, And, you know, as as I was sort of um, reading through some of what you've been writing and, and, and producing over time, not only through Fenris, but also through your thought leadership. Um, one of the things that uh, you recently wrote was around the um, innovation adoption curve, right? and And you had a, a thought around whether or not we're seeing disruption um, within that or if we're really seeing just uh, accelerated improvement in innovation within this uh, insurance space. Now, you know when i when I look at a company like Fenris,, um, I look at you all as enablers of the insurance industry, right? And and I think that is awesome because you all are really driving innovative improvements, um, to, to really help a lot of the uh, incumbent carriers get to the spot of where customer expectations have um, shifted to more recently, um, there are other organizations out there that uh, pride themselves on trying to disrupt this space. I mean, you know the names, the lemonades and the, you know pies and, and those organizations. Um, but you know, Jen, if, if you don't mind, talk to me uh, more about your thoughts um, around that innovation adoption curve um, and why you or if you consider yourselves sort of um enablers along that path of improving the insurance space or if you see yourselves as more of a disruptive technology
0: oh yeah yeah absolutely you you know i think you if you read it you know my perception is um disruption tends to be destructive (laughs) and uh it's it's the earliest the earliest leaders in in any innovation adoption curve are disruptors Um, But as more of the incumbents begin to look ahead and move into the early adopter phase, they're looking to not lose their leadership position. And so that's where that massive improvement comes in, where they have to be open to it, where they they have to invest in in teams like yours, right, that are innovation leadership for the company that includes everyone within the company. It doesn't create an isolated uh, innovation team right off to the side. Um, So... yeah, we certainly view ourselves at Fenris as a lot more like the Levi Strauss in the gold rush. So um, there is a gold rush happening around insuretech. Billions of dollars are pouring in from venture capital groups. Some folks are coming in with no insurance experience. Some folks are coming in with decades of insurance experience. And I, I highlight that because I think it's really important. If you're gonna go do, to a, a California and start digging in the dirt, you probably should have a map Right, a roadmap. You maybe maybe you should have traveled the road a little bit before to know <laughs> what you're getting into, because um, it is. There's a lot of uh, a lot of folks rushing rushing to get there, but that's probably why Fenris will never be a household name. For instance, right. So uh, we'll be the ones powering personalized, fast, easy, accurate quotes onboarding, and and as we continue to push our suite of products and services, we'll be able to monitor the policyholders as well and indicate when life events have changed and what what types of um, churn might be coming up, all using that external data that we have. So we intend to provide that roadmap, um, that list and the tools to our carriers so that they can go out and do what they do best.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you essentially, uh, sort of, um, discussed the fact that as a part of providing that, uh, information and that third party data and so on and, and the capabilities to carriers that you really are an enabling organization. Now, you know, what, what that brings me to is, you know, some of the, the challenges that we see in this insurance space around data quality, ensuring that innovation can play out, um, uh, in, uh, in light of a lot of the, regulatory requirements um, of either housing, storing, leveraging, protecting data. You know, so I'm, Jen. I'm pretty sure. You know, given the fact that you're in the data industry, you know well um, about GDPR. You know uh, that was introduced uh, earlier last year in the European space and and the requirements around that. Right now, when I see another part of your capability, uh, which is the underwriting um, sort of dashboard in the in the workstation and and, and so on, um, that brings me back to the fact that uh, there could potentially be the ability for carriers to have to store that information on the platforms unless you all are, are plugging directly into that, meaning that um, they may be uh, subject to or will be subject to uh, the the data that's been collected with all of the regulatory requirements that wrap around that, right? So, so Jenna, I, I wonder, um, how are you all ensuring that through either providing this information that's been collected on, um, on individual uh, customers, um, as well as uh, producing that information to, to provide pre-fill? How are you protecting the information? Um, and do you see it as a requirement of, of Fenris to ensure that the carriers are also in alignment of what the regulatory requirements, like GDPR, are requiring of, of carriers and those that are hosting and storing data?
0: Yeah, you you hit on a really great topic, and it's one that um, I want to spend a few minutes sort of laying the groundwork as well in case some of your listeners are not as familiar with the two recent laws that came out for California and New York, which will go into effect early next year, um, which are based somewhat on GDPR, right? And so um, the, the crux of it is most of, of everything that happens should be Entirely consent-driven. GDPR even indicates, you know, people have a right to be forgotten. So you have to provide that opportunity to scrub and remove their data. And this introduces some pretty heavy costs in compliance and some heavy penalties should it be, um, uh, should, should you not be compliant. Now, California has also introduced their consumer privacy law. Uh, there's New York has um, done this, what's called the Shield Act Act. Um, There's 10 more states that are trying to pass similar rules. So certainly nobody better be avoiding this. Um, And essentially, they're asking you as companies to provide reasonable safeguards on your physical, technical, and administrative uh, data protocols. Uh, Anything that involves personally identified information. uh, And there are some other categories of data included in that as well that weren't prior, like biometrics. So as these new data elements come about, the regulatory environment is going to try to stay ahead of that. So I think it is a very big question on people's minds and it always comes up and yet we haven't gotten those, those laws go into effect next year. So people are watching and trying to learn and get ahead of it, but we won't actually know until they go into effect. But in general, what we what we suggest at, at Fenris is um, to be very driven uh, by your purpose, know your mission. So why and how are you collecting this data on individuals? What is the purpose for that? You know, in in our case, because insurance is a social good, it's a safety net, um, it's a highly regulated industry to begin with, we're very clear that the purpose of our data collection, and only for that purpose, is to enable individuals, carriers, right, to complete that transaction, to get through the process of applying for and securing protection for your for yourself or your company. I think the insurance companies are no strangers to this. They're going to invest heavily in security in architecture, but there are certain key things they can do. Um, Fenris is a great enabler of that, in that you know, with you, you kind of have to think about how we've structured our solutions to try to get ahead of the ability to say we try we try to create those downstream triggers. So the earlier that we can determine that this is a good applicant for for this carrier or this agent, that it's going to be a good match for you, the the fewer or different reports that can be ordered on that individual. So now you're not ordering a bunch of extraneous reports. And I'll give you an example. Um, Let's say uh, you're like one of my clients. Um, One of my clients is in like two states and uh, they, let's say they spend well over a million dollars a year in credit. Because they order a credit report, an FCRA-regulated data set, right, a hundred percent of the time when an applicant applies, and when you look at the the burden that that's going to create for them, not only you know with the privacy rules, but now the additional credit rules, and then you look hard at the business problem, they're only having two percent conversion, so here we have this massive amount of reports and and the uh, all of the adverse action reporting and compliance issues on 100 percent of those applicants when only two percent become policyholders so with some of our scores where we're able to predict those things using non-regulated data elements up front we can now apply those very soon and they can personalize the journey they can make sure that the right um, products are offered actually generate the indicative quote with our information, and when they go to bind, when that in- individual said, I want to buy it, that's when they can introduce the more regulated data elements. But even backing up now that even what we have is going to become very highly uh, scrutinized, it's just important that you have good data hygiene, data protocols, right? So, being able to um, always think about, first and foremost, how you architect and and store and process the data by anonymizing it, by um, ensuring you have the right safeguards in place. And in any time it's not encrypted at rest, you know, if it's in transit, that you remove PII, personally identified information, and apply unique identifiers that cannot be traced back to the individual. So a score with a unique ID out in the wild is not as dangerous, right, as it would be if I put Abel Travis out there with all of her information. So it's just important that our clients realize that they're gonna have to scrutinize each and every partnership they have. They better know the provenance of the data, make sure uh, they know how it's being used and stored so that they will also be in compliance. And I'll tell you that our clients are stepping it up. In fact, we uh, not a shining moment, but one of my clients in New York actually put a pause on a pilot because uh, once the New York DFS requirements for the Shield Act came out, and we looked at what we do. This was a very special case. They weren't quite sure we had it 100% down, and I'll acknowledge that. So um, we've got some additional security protocols going in place over the next few weeks as well. So this is never something you can sit still on. It's always going to be a challenge, and um, rightfully so. I'm I'm excited that we we actually see this as a good thing because additional barriers to entry raises the game for everybody, right? And if we want to if we want to play the right game, we've got to come with the right tools.
1: I, I absolutely agree with you there, right? And um, and, and I want to say, you know, I I wonder with an organization like yours, you know, you all have um, you know been around uh, not uh, as long as a lot of the uh, carriers that are in this space, and and you are um, working with and serving those carriers. But as these uh, regulatory laws or, or as as the uh, the legislation is put in place that um, would need to be complied with, uh, like the Shield Act, as, as you mentioned, Jen, you know, you all are doing everything in your power to to ensure that, um, you're complying with this and to essentially enable those carriers that you're working with to have the confidence that, um, whatever engagement that they have with you all are also in compliance with that. Right. And, and, and that leads me to, uh, just a thought around really onboarding, um, innovation, um, and regulation as, you know, a part of being, uh, a Essentially a startup, um, an insure tech organization. So, you know, just just pivoting a little bit to that. How do you all um, really uh, essentially pivot to ensuring that you're complying with these regulations, knowing that you might not have the same level of resources as some of the organizations that you're working with, because as 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 I speak with a lot of insure tech organizations, whether it's in the data space, whether they're even um, uh, you know securely collecting data from carriers in order to augment it and and, and send it back, um, a lot of those insure techs don't have the subject matter expertise or the resources to handle it internally. You know, so um, so some things might wind up slipping through the cracks, and and you're not an organization that's there at all. But but I wonder, you know, for insure techs that are listening, how do you make sure that uh, or how are you making sure that you're um, keeping up to speed on what those requirements are before regulations like the Shield Act go into effect?
0: Uh, wow. So there are certain categories of challenges that companies will encounter. Some are known unknowns and some are unknown unknowns. <laughs> and I think, I think for many of the startups, this may be an unknown unknown. They don't know that they don't know enough to become compliant. Um, And certainly there's going to be more publications and things like that um, around what these laws mean. Um, And our carriers, our agencies, and uh, we've got some great partnerships with systems integrators as well uh, that, that are pretty incumbent. They're all very much aware of that. So the nice thing is um, people are paying a lot of attention to this. The lawyers are getting involved. and They're trying to understand and wrestle with what what the rules are. But here's what you can do: um, you're going to need a chief information security officer, a CISO. So there's a lot of, even as a startup, you can access fractional CISOs. Um, and there are a lot of uh, uh, you know programs online. And if you if anyone wants recommendations, hit me up and I'll let you know. I've got some friends in these businesses where they've created sort of a package online, right? For the auditing and the compliance and the penetration testing, those types of things. So you better as a, very, as a minimum, make sure that you're undergoing your requirements for annual audits. And then when issues are spotted, you're gonna need remediation plans. So these are things that you don't wanna play around with. I mean, I can remember back in the day when uh, I was at the telematics company. So this is how far we've come, right? At the telematics company, we would um, engage with insurance carriers and they would send us a giant list of requests um, for our security audit before we could even touch anything. And I remember part of the question set, and you might laugh, Abel, maybe you guys, I don't know, some companies still have this in there, but they would ask sort of your um, data destruction policies and they'd say, do you shred the diskettes? (laughs) We were laughing because at that point we were already on the cloud. And Amazon, you know, web services and our, what we would say is, well, the CIA uses AWS, so we must be fine. You can no longer just assume (laughs) that you're fine. Um, And so having the expertise and getting access to that is critical. I think it starts at the top. It also involves a lot of training. Every single person in your organization has to be taught. They have requirements. And and just in the physical construct, right? You have to limit access to data, change passwords. Those are important things. You can't leave things out on your desk. And then just even moving to like administrative or technical roles, you've got to make sure that you're parsing out and separating data so that it's not all in one spot. But no matter how sophisticated you are, at the end of the day, Capital One has been breached. Um, Everybody has been breached just about, right? And then you have what's called a requirement to notify. So you better know and have a crisis plan in place ahead of time because the chances are it may happen to you. Um, And so I hope none of that is like, you know, meant to be doom and gloom, but um, we can't keep ahead of everything fast enough. So put all of your efforts into prevention, but have a little bit of common sense and say, if it does happen to us, here's how we're going to notify, here's how we're going to make sure that we stay compliant after the fact, and then we'll remediate again and again and again
1: yeah absolutely um, and, and it's funny you know uh, just going back to, to the comment that you made around whether you shredded the discats, uh, <laughs> I, what, 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 I, what I think is um, you know a lot of carriers uh, probably in some elements still operate in that sort of legacy manner um, but uh, they probably uh, assume that some of the insured techs or the startups that they're working with with also uh, operated within that legacy manner when you know a majority of the times they are either on the cloud or or at such a, a Far path down the, the technology spectrum that there's no linkage to what some of these carriers are requiring of you. Right. So so I, I always find that to, to be a little bit interesting when I hear about those types of things or, or frankly, when, when I when I see those things, uh, you know, now now with that said, uh, you know, we, we talked a lot about data. We talked about a lot, a lot about um, what Fenris is doing as a part of your value proposition and how you're su- su- supporting the industry. But, um, you know, I, I love to just get your thoughts around what you think. Think about the future of transformation in insurance. Now, you know, with this podcast, for me, I've been um, I've been doing this for a little while, and and, and I've uh, over the past or uh, sort of two and a half years, I've seen. A significant difference in what organizations were doing, um, whether it's an incumbent carrier or, or insure techs that are looking to transform this industry, you know, all the, uh, you know, back from back in 2017, um, up until now. Um, and, and, it, and it's been quite tremendous in terms of the growth and maturity that we've seen in this space. So, Jen, if you don't mind, you know, talk to me about, um, you know, where you see the insurance industry moving, um, and also this advent of insure tech. Um, going within insurance over the next couple of years.
0: Oh uh, wow! So this is me putting on that hat, the crystal ball uh, that got the what's the guy with the turban uh, that Johnny Carson used to play, uh, <laughs> and he'd hold an envelope to his head. Um, I I am excited, frankly, about what's coming because this is an industry that I hold dear, and I think all of the people in this industry do it because they care. Right, And ultimately it's, it's mission driven as an industry. And so the embracing of these new technologies that, that are helpful, I think, can only make it so they can do their job better. Now, I think the entire industry is a theme. I think they're moving more to um, uh, sort of prevention versus after the fact payment, right, with uh, autonomous autonomous vehicles, uh, predicting, you know, if you're going to crash and then putting the brake on, um, all of the hardware that's in the homes and sensorware that says, hey, there's a, a leaky toilet that's going to cause a, a water damage. Let's turn it off. I think there's going to be a lot more of the prevention methodology. And so I, I, I'm curious to see how insurance evolves in that dynamic. But my big prediction for you, Abel, and I'm willing to put a dollar on this one with you. <laughs> I I ultimately think insurance moves away from being product oriented. It has to date always been very siloed. And maybe that's just in our systems and the way we quote and things like that. But I would love to see insurance become more applicable to the the individual. Right. Um, and we're seeing that a little bit with episodic, uh, because it can cover certain things for a period of time, as opposed to product driven. But ultimately, I'm as I'm as uh, you know bewildered as you are as to how and where some of these innovations are going to come about. And if I had a crystal ball, I would. All I know is I want to be there as part of one of the enablers in this industry, and I want to make sure that um, at the end of the day, insurance gets to fulfill its its social mission, which is to support and protect. The people that are its policyholders right in the old days this was insurance was never quite so big it was a, a group of farmers locally uh, or p- industry leaders that would if someone's business uh, had a problem they would cover for them right or their farm uh, had a problem then then they would all pull together their resources and pull through um, and so i'm i'm excited to see where it heads in the long run I don't have any good predictions for you though
1: no, no. You know, it, it's. Uh, I'm just as excited, and, and as I think about, um, you know, what, what you mentioned in terms of the the personalization element of that, right? I, I I do think you're you're spot on in terms of where it's where it's going, um, and moving away from being product driven to more personalized towards the the the, the people um i think you all are doing your part to enable that especially since a lot of that is driven around the data that carriers and organizations uh can apply to providing that personal personalization for the customer the business owner or frankly the, the the person that's looking to get insurance for their homes you know so um i'm i'm really uh, glad to to hear that your thinking is that it's going down that path because I do also believe that holistically, um, insurance is is moving down that path as well, Um, as as well as the the potential to see it uh, be more um, streamlined as as a part of the buying process um, as we start to think about what folks are really trying to do, right? It it, it becomes less about the insurance in some elements, depending on what you're talking about, and it becomes more about the action uh, that individuals are taking. So, you know, Buying a car, buying a home, um, you know uh, having to go to the hospital, potentially having a child, those sorts of things, just having it wrapped in or embedded a, as a part of the the functions that the customers are already doing. So you know for me I, I think there's a lot of um, opportunity to to really transform the way that insurance is done and um, and I'm excited to see where that goes in the future as well I think you've got job security
0: for a couple twenty years here.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I agree with you there, you know, just, just given the fact that there's yeah. there's so many directions to take this. Now, with that said, you know, one of the questions that I ask, right, um, and, and as I look at Fenris, um, and as I mean, as I hear you speak, uh, you are... Really about, um, you know, some of what, what you've talked about in that innovation curve and, um, and and really embracing and onboarding this thought of innovation. So so, Jenna, if you don't mind, you know, one of the questions that I ask is for folks that are listening to us talk, um, if they wanted to really change what they're doing in their organizations to change the status quo and help their organizations embrace innovation, what advice would you give that individual?
0: Great question. So, having been in some of those largest organizations, um, here's what my takeaways would be for them. Um, it, No matter what your role is in the organization, create visibility around what the problem is from a customer perspective. Understand there's a really a pain point. Oftentimes, underwriting is siloed, marketing is siloed, claims is siloed. I would love to see people reach outside of their, uh, you know, particular work group and say, there's a bigger problem here to solve. So first off, don't be shy to take on a problem much bigger than your current role. Um, I also love to see it when the C-suite begins to embrace and empower and talk up the fact that, hey, we're learning, right? And it's okay to fail. In fact, I would love for people to recognize something. That is uh, a lot of the conferences that I go to and I, I'm, I'm now taking more speaking, speaking roles. Um, and so I learn from the other speakers as well. And I ask them occasionally, so what percentage of your pilots fail, right? Because I know we all talk about what makes a successful pilot. And uh, they're pretty candid. It's like 75 to 80% are failures. And I'm like, you know what? That's awesome. <laughs> because if we could if we could eliminate the stigma around what a failure is, right And I think that's because in general when folks undertake something, they put a lot into it and so we have to switch up the uh, the, the script as well. We have to say you know a fast failure is a, is a success because we proved these specific points. It's all the typical stuff for innovation that I'm sure you employ very well able at your, your organization. And so you know I think I think be a learner is really the key there and be brave and step out of your comfort zone and raise the flag. And say we can be better. That's those are kind of my encouraging words for
1: folks. Yeah, no, that, those are great, actually. Um, and uh, you know, just to, to to focus back on one of the things that you mentioned, when you asked the question, how many pilots failed? You know, eighty percent or whatever it might be. What that shows is that those organizations are taking risk in terms of wanting to transform those organizations and embrace uh innovation so uh, i i'm i'm really glad to hear that that's the message that that's coming out of that because I, i could probably tell you that years ago um, you probably wouldn't have had the same percentages because a lot of organizations were scared <laughs> of embracing innovation, yeah. um, um, and even engaging with insuretechs because they saw them as competitors instead of partners. So, you know, it's really exciting to to hear that that's the the, the feedback that you're getting from those um, people that that you're speaking to. So, you know, um, Jen, uh, I I do want to say thank you. You know, this was a really great conversation, and I'm sure that. The folks that are listening are going to get a lot out of what you and I talked about here today. Um, You know, I I know a lot of folks like to continue the conversation. So uh, if you're open to it, you know, what's the best way for people to contact you to, uh, you know, learn more about uh, Fenris and potentially partner with your organization? Uh,
0: Yes. So uh, the website is FenrisD for digital dot com. Um, you can reach out to us there. There's a way to schedule one-on-one calls with me. You can get right on my calendar or members of my team. And uh, in the, at the end of October, I don't know if this will publish by then, but uh, I'm going to be speaking at the Women in Insurance Conference. So I hope that any of your listeners that are there will come up and, and say hello to me.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And uh, yeah, hopefully, listeners, if you're listening, this is the place to be. So um, make sure you, uh, you contact uh, Jen and her team and, uh, and really learn more about what Fen- Fenris is doing, uh, just because this is where uh, I feel as well the industry is moving. So hey, Jen, once again, thank you. I do truly appreciate, uh, you know, having you on the podcast. And I look forward to continuing to following the successes of Fenris.
0: Thanks, Abel. I'm just so delighted that you're creating such a great platform for folks.
1: Thanks for doing that. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Insurance Innovators Unscripted Podcast, episode 101. You know, we hit that hundredth. We're getting really great guests on the podcast like Jen and all of the others that you heard through the first 100. So if this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button so you can get new episodes weekly. Thank you once again. I do truly appreciate having you as a listener. So thanks, and I'll see you next week.